Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Hello, and thank you for joining. This is Mandy Bishop, founder and CEO of Lifely Insights and the co-host of the Managed Care podcast series with the American Journal of Managed Care. With me today is my guest, Dr. Richard Bankowitz, who is the Executive Vice President of Clinical Affairs for the America's Health Insurance Plans, which is called AHIP Organization. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mandy. It's a pleasure. I'm I'm so excited. This is a a true, I, I feel like we really need to have discussions, much more inclusive discussions about the insurance industry and about the role that the insurance industry plays in healthcare and plays in the broader healthcare transformation and innovation space. And I'd like to get a feel for how you ended up here and what drove you to this point where we're having this conversation. Well, thanks. Well, that's a good question. Um, You know, I guess if I go all the way back to my personal story, um, growing up, I I came from a blue collar family. I was the first really to go to college in my extended family. And, at the time, if you were smart, uh, you had two choices, at least in, in my family. You became a doctor or a lawyer. And uh, I was very driven by science and thought, like I guess like a lot of people who go into medicine, you can have an enjoyable science-based career and do some good and help people. So uh, I, I went into medicine with that attitude. But along the way, um, I discovered that I also was very, very interested in computer science and numbers and qualitative things like statistics. And so I guess you might say I was just a big nerd at the time. But <laughs> I, I think if I had been born maybe a little bit later, I might have gone into computer science. But when I arrived at college, I, I, won't, I hate to date myself, but um, it was an era when people were still using punch cards. <laughs> and so a lot of people, I mean, I think a lot of people don't know what a punch card is, but um, it, it was it was a different era. Um, however, I never really lost my affinity for data and, and, and numbers and taking a qualitative approach. And uh, as I went through training, I ended up doing a fellowship and I did a fellowship in general internal medicine. And I announced to my mentors that what I really wanted to do was to use data, databases and a data-driven approach to improve quality. And the reaction I got at the time was, this was a literal quote, don't give up your day job. (laughs) Well, it has been a long time and this has been my day job for a very long time. So I have uh, been an internist, I've taught internal medicine, I've studied informatics, I've taught informatics, and I've really been focused on a, a couple of things. One is in looking at safe and effective care and how we can make sure that providers are delivering safe and effective care, and also looking about cost and value and really trying to make sure that we can have affordable care. And so that's really been my passion. Um, I come at this mostly from the provider side. I've worked with large hospitals for a long time trying to use a data-driven approach to improve quality and to drive down costs. Um, one of the things that motivates me a lot and maybe why I find myself here at AHIP is that I do believe that the current 
trajectory we're on is unsustainable. Um, you know, we can't keep spending one out of every five dollars on health care and getting, um, well, at least if you look at the world results, we're not the best in a lot of the, the, the indicators. So we spend more than anybody else and we don't really get um, as much as we should. And I think um, that that can't continue. So I think you might be familiar with the uh, one of the quotes that I, I like, um, which is Stein's Law in Economics. And uh, the law is a very simple one. It says, if a trend cannot continue forever, it will stop. And, <laughs> yep. and so it seems intuitive, but we this trend can continue. The, the cost trend cannot continue. It has to stop. And I'd like to be part of the solution in controlling how it stops and under what circumstances it stops. So, so that is why I am here at AHIT, Mandy, and I've just been here only now three months. Oh, well, welcome to the fray. And I, I think that your perspective and coming from the provider environment, I think that being able to bring that perspective to not just to, to a health plan, but to the organization of commercial health plans, right? And to be able to provide education and that and, and experiential background to make things like the navigation of clinical data and the understanding of the importance of clinical data and of physician workflow and all of the upstream processes that the insurers typically don't see, right? So I, having come from the insurance world myself for a very long time, I didn't realize the amount of effort that and you know, the onus that was placed on clinicians and on providers to give me the data that I needed for my information management processes, the data that I wanted for my data warehouse to do my medical cost analysis and my network optimization. I didn't realize how challenging it was both from a data capture perspective as well as kind of an accuracy perspective and then an integration perspective. Like I didn't, I didn't understand how much effort I was placing on those upstream provider organizations outside of their responsibility to deliver care. You know, I didn't, I didn't get it. And, and then I've spent a lot of time on the other side now in the care continuum and spent a lot of time embedded with providers. And you, it's an eye-opening experience, understanding and, and living day-to-day -day with clinicians and with the workflows that they, you know, that they are going through just to deliver care, but then also to capture the data that we need um, collectively as an industry and that specifically the payers need in order to facilitate their processes. It's tremendous. It's huge. And I think your background coming from that provider side, being able to bring that lens to, again, not just a, an individual health plan, but to the organization of commercial health plans so that your experience can be a broader uh, education base for them. I think that's brilliant. I think that this is a brilliant place for you to be. And I'm very, very grateful for your placement here. Well, thank you so much. And, and, and that is Looking at data integration is a very big problem. Uh, everybody has a small piece of the of the picture. Um, providers have a lot of very deep data, deep clinical data on patients. Um, the plans have a very broad set of data. They can look across the big picture. Um, and we do need to get the two of these things to talk to each other. So you're absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. So what role do you think, and, and specifically we can talk from an AHIP perspective about the commercial health insurers, like what role do you think that the, you know, the health plans that are part of AHIP are playing in facilitating those types of 
integration and healthcare transformation processes, data-driven transformation that's going to be impactful to our industry and to the patients and members that we serve in the next decade? Well, yes. Well, that's a, that's a really good question. You know, one of the things that struck me when I came to AHIP and, and started investigating what plans were doing, um, it seems that the roles are blending a bit. The role of provider and health plan are are starting to merge a little bit. So perhaps the distinctions aren't quite as clear as they used to be. For example, providers are taking on more risk mm-hmm. and need to understand all that that comes with and need, need to have a certain view of their patient population. Um, and plans are actually doing things that you would once say were strictly the purview of providers. So really trying to address some of the social determinants of health, really trying to get in and address on the ground through communities, um, agencies, or sometimes directly the the drivers of population health. So I think the two are, are coming together. I think you're right. And I think that we're seeing that playing out in, in some very specific, I know, top of mind um, crises that our nation is facing. I think that we're seeing this type of partnership and uh, a much, you know, being able to kind of rapidly overcome any trust barriers or relationship challenges that there have traditionally been between the payers and the providers and things like addressing the opioid epidemic, right? And being able to form these really meaningful partnerships to get at data-driven answers to be able to effectively identify and address and predict the spread of the opioid epidemic and, and what could be done about it. Like it's, I know that that's top of mind for, you know, yes. for the members. Yeah, it's a huge problem, as you as you point out. Um, you know, the oxycodone use has gone from in 1991, 76 million uh, units were dis- distributed, and and now we're up to 207 million in 2013. And and we have actually about 20,000 deaths a year on opium overdoses, which is more actually deaths than gun violence. So it's a huge problem. Um, we've just um, sent a letter to Governor Chris Christie in his role as the chair of the President's Commission on Combating Drug Addiction and the Opioid Crisis. And we we pointed out a couple of things that the plans are doing to to take a leadership role. And obviously this needs to be a partnership with plans and providers and community services. But some of the things plans are doing, um, they're really trying to leverage evidence-based treatment guidelines. And, And they can be very effective disseminators of evidence-based treatment guidelines. And uh, to your point about the data, the plans are using their claims data to identify potential misuse. And and that is something that I think only the plans can do because as I said, they have a very broad picture. And and, and thirdly, um, the plans are involved in both provider and patient education about the risks of of, of drug use. So, I could talk a little bit more in depth about some of these things, but um, let me just say on the data side, you know, one of the things that plans can do is look at who is getting um, opioid prescriptions filled at multiple locations. Yeah. Um, they can also look at which patients who don't have any cancer um, are getting very high dose of medication. Um, they can also look at which patients are getting both benzodiazepines and opioids prescribed together, which is a recipe for disaster. So there's a lot that plants can do there. 
There, there is. There's a tremendous amount, as you point out, of data that's available longitudinally for the patients that an individual provider or even a hospital system doesn't necessarily have access to, right? Because typically their view is limited to their EHR and, you know, and their, their, you know, the, their EHR infrastructure. And, and um, so being able, from an opioid perspective, to follow the patient and to take that longitudinal view, uh, whether it's claims-based or whether it's the attempt for a claim, right, whether it's an authorization request, like, you know, the things that come across um, prior to the, the medication, the, the, you know, the prescription actually being filled, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity there for the payers to identify these trends and to identify patients and patients and members who may be exhibiting symptoms of addiction to be able to kind of stem that tide earlier. There's, I, yeah. I, I think there's a tremendous amount also that the plans can do, and this might be part of the provider education, um, to identify prescription patterns, prescribing patterns, and to, to work with providers when they may not understand you know, they, they may not see a pattern of prescribing. They may not be able to see that, you know, their, their prescribing patterns in comparison to their peers may or may not be, um, be heavier, right? They, for the same types yeah. of disease states, the same case mixes, they may be heavier opioid prescribers than their neighboring physician. And the plans have an opportunity to see and address that. Is that one of the use cases that you're pursuing? Yes, I think both of these things are true. First of all, by looking at patients who are getting multiple prescriptions filled um, and bringing that to the attention of the provider, I think it's a very useful service and the providers are very appreciative because they, they often don't know this is going on. So that's extremely useful. And then that provider can work with the patient to try to get them into appropriate therapy. Um, the, but on an educational level, plans also work with providers in trying to um, get them to come up with care plans that include non-opioid medications. And um, I think that peer, uh, knowledge of peer prescribing behavior is something that plans can share and I think is a very useful way to bring about change. Absolutely. And I think so tied to the opioid epidemic and something that you, you just touched on briefly a few minutes ago, you know, the social and complex needs, right, and the underlying causes. We, we know that the opioid epidemic reaches across all class lines, reaches across all, all incomes, but does seem to have clusters, you know, does seem to have community clusters. And some of those communities are affluent, some of those communities are, are not. Um, from a plan perspective, you talked about the kind of the community partners, community services partnerships, what is being done or what, you know, what is being done and what do you think could be done and where should the health plan industry look to begin to identify and address these kind of underlying causes that contribute not just to the opioid epidemic, but to an individual's ability to manage their health in general? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I think plans um, really believe that, that you need to take care of the entire person, um, not only their physical well-being, but their mental and social well-being. If you think about it, you know, physicians um, see the patient as they wash up in a, in a state of illness, okay? But plans um, are composed of consumers, and part of the role of the plan is to see if we can keep that group healthy and have them avoid contact with the healthcare system. So plans are taking a, a more holistic view, and I think 
you have seen this in so many areas. We have plans that are very much focused on patient-centered medical homes. And embedded in these homes, there are often uh, behavioral health uh, professionals. There are often used um, screening techniques, um, screening instruments to look for depression. Um, that's something that's been a routine part of the patient-centered medical homes in many of our plans. And so trying to integrate the behavioral health with the physical health, I think, is very, very important. Absolutely. The other thing you, you pointed out is there are populations at risk. And so we have plans who actually can try to intervene early. So um, we know, for example, if patients have just received uh, uh, residential care for our treatment uh, substance abuse, they may be at, at higher risk. So they're immediately paired in some of our plans with a behavioral health uh, professional who can sort of serve as a, a resource and a coach. Um, people who are just uh, getting out of jail, uh, these are high-risk individuals and, and our plans, uh, some of them work with these populations and can immediately pair them with uh, behavioral health professionals. So it is a more holistic view and I think it's an important one. I think, yeah, I, I absolutely. And I think, again, that, that partnership and having that longitudinal data about the member, um, which, you know, is also about the patient, but having, having a much more longitudinal view is something that is unique to, to the plans, to the health plans. And, and it affords them, I think, a much more robust opportunity to identify and, you know, identify early intervention opportunities and to identify appropriate community service partnerships that, you know, needed to support clusters of behaviors that they're seeing, you know, behaviors or, or conditions that they're seeing arise in a particular neighborhood or in a particular market area. You know, the plans are very uniquely positioned to see those trends before they become a, a crisis, right? To see they are, and, 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 and increasingly, uh, as you know, there's the use of predictive analytics with all of this data. And so plans can use their algorithms to identify who might be at risk for opioid abuse or for uh, other, other problems. So it is definitely uh, a trend I think that's gonna continue. Absolutely. Now, you know, beyond the individual health plans, you know, typically working regionally, what role does an organization like AHIP play as a resource for the broader health plan community in, in support of these types of innovation? Yeah. So I think AHIP has several roles. As you know, um, we basically work for the plans. Um, they don't work for us, so we are a resource to our plans. And I think one of the main things we can do is we can be a convener and a disseminator of best practice. Many of our plans face the same problems, um, and we can share best practices. I was just before coming to this interview, I was sitting with a group of our plants who are here today who are focusing on asthma and asthma prevention. And in work that we're doing with the EPA, um, these plans are finding ways to take a more proactive role, um, trying to get into the homes and remove triggers of asthma, um, which is often a difficult task. But sharing the best practices around how that can be done is, is something that you know AHIP can do. The other thing that AHIP can do, I think, is it can be a, a good partner. Um, the, as we started the conversation, there are multiple stakeholders involved 
in healthcare. So we have the provider side, we have pharmaceuticals, we have the plans, among others. I think every one of these stakeholders has a perspective um, which is valid and, and very useful from their own point of view. But one of the things that AHIP can do is really educate the other stakeholders about the perspective of, of the plans and the payers. Um, if you think about it, I think um, this was pointed out by Stephen Brill in a op-ed in the, in the Washington Post. The plans share the same perspective as the consumer, right? We um, pay the bill, uh, the taxpayers ultimately, and the employers ultimately, and the patients ultimately pay the bill, but we're on the side of the equation that's paying the bill. And that's not to say the providers are not interested in lowering costs, they, I'm sure they are, but they're di dispensing the bills. Mm -hmm. So we have the perspective, I think, of the consumer which I think is an important one to bring to the table. So that's another thing AHIP can do. Well, when we think about value-based care, I think about AHIP and the best practices. And the first, the first thing that pops to my mind is, again, around healthcare transformation and understanding all of the ways in which we as an industry can begin to come together around a concept of, of promoting health and wellness and kind of collectively figuring out what are alternative business models to hospital admissions, right? How do we... How do we move away from sick care and try to embrace wellness and health as our industry's mission? And like, like you just said, you know, from a health plan perspective, you know, the, the claims, it, the fewer claims someone has, the, the more effective health insurance, uh, you know, financially and otherwise it is, right? So, so our goal collectively is to reduce the number of claims through effective health, right? Through effective health management. Um, not arbitrarily, but you know, to be able to help people become healthier so that they have better, you know, better improved clinical outcomes, uh, higher satisfaction, higher quality of life. You know, those are all of the goals I think that we collectively have. And it's, it just becomes interesting thinking through and understanding how to incorporate those, that mindset into value-based care contract levers, right? Yeah. Into, well, yeah. This is a big um, item for our CMO community. Um, our CMOs are trying to help providers make the transition from fee-for-service to a more value-based uh, healthcare environment. I think that's a transition that needs to be made, it is going to be made over the next few years. And so trying to partner with them to understand how they can manage a population uh, how they can understand the costs of the population, how they can use some of the techniques you just you just pointed out in trying to keep patients out of the most expensive parts of the healthcare system. That's something that our CMOs are doing every day. In fact, um, I'm going to be on a panel at our institute, which is coming up in June, Indeed. and we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking about this very issue of helping providers trend transit from fee-for-service to value-based care. So if uh, people are interested, they can check out our website because our, our National Institute will be coming up June 7th through 9th in Austin, Texas. So direct people to, to our website if they're interested. Absolutely. So in case, in case anyone missed that, AHIP Institute is June 7th through 9th in Austin, Texas, and I will be there.
and Dr. Richard Bankowitz will be there, as well as Dr. Eric Topol and Jamie Haywood of Patients Like Me and a number of other really fantastic industry leaders who are going to be tackling these very difficult conversations um, in, in meaningful and real ways. So I'm, I'm excited about the content of the AHIP Institute Conference. It's always one of my favorite, uh, favorite and best learning opportunities of the year. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, you're I look, forward to, look forward to meeting you there. It, it will be great. And, and with that, I think that it is, we've, we've reached the end of our time and I greatly appreciate your joining me today, Richard. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mandy, for the opportunity. Wonderful. Again, this has been Mandy Bishop signing off for the Managed Care Cast for the American Journal of Managed Care. Thanks for listening, everyone.